Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. piggybacking on what I discussed on Tuesday, a Dominion lifestyle. And I'm going to have a recap of that. So if you didn't, if you missed Tuesday's broadcast, I'm going to recap that today. But today is going to be a practical broadcast in the sense that I'm going to show you, you know, not just that you have dominion. I want to show you what you have dominion over and how you can take dominion today. How you don't have to wait for some season that's coming your way. You can have, you have already every uh, weapon and arsenal in your tool belt, in your in your your hands right now god's not waiting to do anything else god's not you know uh he's not got some other weapon that he's going to give you there's nothing more that the devil answers to than the blood of jesus christ and he's you know there's a lot of people they're waiting for something that god's going to do when in reality god is waiting on you and god's waiting on us to take authority so cody Helene, hillary follower of the way amory linda on youtube help me by sharing this broadcast out to, to, to reach as many people as possible. It's going to be a life-changing broadcast. I entitled today's broadcast, I Take Dominion. Tuesday was Dominion Lifestyle. I wanted to show you from the scriptures that you have dominion. And I'm going to start today by just doing a recap. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. This is what the scripture says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So it doesn't say be strong in your own strength. It doesn't say, you know, I'm just going to, Keep a positive attitude and truck it through. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that you should, you know, garner as much strength, inner strength that you have and just ride off that. That's not what the scripture says. It says that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. There's far too many Christians that are running off their own fuel. When there's another fuel that you can fill your vessel up with, and that's the fuel of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And if you try to live Christianity in your own power and strength, you're going to have a very miserable, frustrated life because you're constantly going to be hitting roadblocks, obstacles. You know, the devil has no respect for your strength. The devil has no respect for what you can do the devil answers to only one thing, and that is power. That's why in the book of Psalms 110, the scripture says, I say, um, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. For the Lord shall send forth the rod of his strength, referring to the power of God's word. He will send out the rod of his strength out of Zion, saying, Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies, and thy people shall be volunteers. The Bible says, Your enemy, your adversary, will be volunteers in the day of your power. The devil becomes a volunteer here in your life when you start to exert exude this level of power the devil there's a lot there's like four types of christians in life there's those that don't believe there is a devil they just run through life just ignoring the fact that there is a thief that has come to steal kill and destroy they totally ignorant of the spiritual side of life and that's why i'm going to start off with ephesians 6 because i want to show you that the source of your problem is not natural even if you have a boss that's making life hell on earth for you at work that ultimately your boss is not your problem there is something behind the scenes that is steering your boss up to make life miserable for you uh, because the devil doesn't want you to succeed. The devil doesn't want you to get promoted. The devil doesn't want you to excel in life. God has a plan to bring you to the top, but that's not going to happen automatically. That's not just going to get dropped into your lap. There is a real enemy. 
You know, when God told Israel that I'm bringing you into the land of Canaan and he sends out the 12 spies, the 12 all returned and reported that there are giants in the land. The, Joshua and Caleb didn't say, no, they're actually lying. There's no giants in the land. It's actually a, a land that has like a, it's pretty much open for the taking. No, they, they concurred. There are giants in the land. There is a giant in every man's promised land and God's not the one that came down to remove the giants in those days. God anointed his people Israel with power to to dispossess those giants of that land and to possess it themselves God didn't do it for them God gave them instructions you have dwelt along this mountain long enough there's a lot of you you've been dwelling along dwelling around the same mountain the same problem the same sickness the same depression the same anxiety year after year decade after decade there's some of you who've, you've never actually tasted of freedom and all you've been doing all you know to do is to cry out for help cry out for help but I believe God is not is going to show you something from his word today that every weapon of warfare that is necessary for the pulling down of strong is not going to be made available to you it is available to you now here and today that you have authority you know when John and P Peter were going to the hour of prayer in the ninth hour in Acts chapter 3 after Jesus had risen from the dead after Jesus had said you're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost has come on you that power is to dominate the devil that power is not just so we can gyrate and service and vibrate and have goosebumps and the hair behind your neck stand up that power is for practical victory practical dominion is to have real victory in life people relegate this book to be some mystical ethereal thing something like a uh, mysterious thing in the heavens that like you know ultimately though life is hell on earth we still have some joy in our hearts and that's what's keeping us to go no if you study the life of Jesus Jesus wasn't having some superficial peace all the while his life he was like on welfare uh, his body was sick his disciples, he couldn't keep them together. They were like a mess. And then after he left, it's like nothing really stayed. Nothing really was uh, established. He left and, you know, the whole thing just fell flat. No, you look at Jesus' lifestyle. Every... Mark chapter 1, after he gets baptized, he goes into a synagogue. When he gets up to speak, there were many people that would speak in the synagogue in those days. Even to this day, if you go to a Jewish synagogue, it's not just one preacher. There's several people that come to exhort. There's several people that come to read the scriptures. Jesus was just one of those people. Luke 4.18 says, as was his custom, he stood up to read in the synagogue. And Mark 1 says that in that day... Even though other people had gone up and spoke before him, they didn't carry power. They didn't carry supernatural dynamite in their spirits. They didn't carry real authority. They were just reading words off a paper. But Jesus carried power with God. He returned after his fast in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And the Bible says when he read of the scroll, a demon manifested and said, What have we to do together uh, oh, son of the most high God, what have we to do, you and I? Have you come to torment me before the time? Do you understand that the same spirit that was in Christ that disturbed the demon in that man that day is the same spirit that's in you? That wherever you go, they're not the principality. You now become the reigning principality where your two feet are. The scripture says that that man felt tormented. The demon in that man felt tormented. The anointing is not given to you to endure the devil. The anointing is not given to you just so that you can make it through life we're not struggling through life we're anointed to thrive where others are striving we're anointed to excel where others are diminishing the greatest days of the church on the earth are not 
book of Acts, the greatest days of the church on the earth is the, is the coming days as we re wait and are eagerly expecting the return of Jesus Christ. We're not here on the earth to just, you know, stay in a corner somewhere and not make much noise. No, the church is about to make the most amount of noise it's ever made on the earth. The Bible says Jesus gave his disciples an instruction until I come, you are to occupy. That's why the devil is working overtime to try and get you not to see this message in the Bible, to try and get you to just recede and 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 um buy in to that religious jargon that says whatever comes your way you got to accept life you know life has many ways mysterious things that throws at you life life you don't you're not promised anything in life you just got to take what comes your way that's what religion teaches you but the bible tells you that we hallelujah we have been given keys in the kingdom of heaven that we can bind things on earth and they shall be bound from heaven we can loose things on earth and they shall be loosed in heaven that's not uh, Jesus wasn't telling his disciples you should just wait for God to do something about it. Jesus was saying, I'm giving you keys so that you can do something about real life situations. The Bible is not us just having peace in the storm. The Bible is God giving. The Bible is an instruction of how we can take authority over the storm itself like Jesus did in Mark chapter 4 when he got up in the boat and they were all panicking. Haven't you come to save us? Here we are perishing by this storm and the boat was being filled with the waves but Jesus said you faithless generation when you have no faith when you when you're just plagued by fear and fear over floods your heart you don't you don't understand you don't know how to take dominion there's always a, a, a you know the Bible says we're in no way to be terrified of our enemy but there's too many Christians that are living in absolute terror of the enemy because they've been taught that they should be afraid of the devil preachers are responsible and they're going to stand before God for for what they preach and far too many are talking about this big devil far too many are talking about how we're kind of like the underdogs in life we're not the underdogs in life we're not disadvantaged i am i carry a superior complex superiority complex over the devil the devil's not eye to eye with me the devil's not over my head the devil's not even just above my toes the devil is under my feet and he's under your feet and I tell you today he's going to assume that place he's going to put be brought back to that low level in life the devil doesn't get to decide your destiny the devil doesn't get to determine how you make it in life God and you are going to write the next chapters of your life and the devil is going to have a as he's had a field day with you up until now he's going to learn he's going to learn that when you touch fire you get burned in the mighty name of Jesus if you believe that pre shout amen in the comment section hallelujah we're still at 70 people I, I have no idea why it's so low usually at this point we have at least 100 105 people 110 people but if you would share this broadcast help me get this out to as many people as possible Jesus gets in the synagogue and immediately that demon felt tormented do you know that that anointing in you is a tormenting force it's not to put up with the devil it's to torment the devil everywhere you go so quit buying into that religious lie that shows you as the undergod. Almost like there's like the devil and God and they're arm wrestling. And or the devil and Jesus, that Instagram picture that they famously, fam famously share, that the devil and Jesus are like arm wrestling. And it seems like Jesus is sweating by his brow and the devil is also sweating and there's like an even battle. That's not, <laughs> that's not the picture of the Bible. Colossians 2, 14, 15, the picture that the Bible... Uh, has of the devil is that he's a disarmed 
and he's a defeated and spoiled foe. That the Bible says God made a public humiliation of him openly. It wasn't done in a secret place. The Bible actually says, if you study that scripture in Colossians 2, that after Jesus raised from the dead, he took Satan and he dragged him almost like in a parade fashion, but before heaven, before earth, and before hell itself, dragged him with his skull cracked open to show him, this is your master, all you demons. This is your master, all you fallen angels. And I'm coming for you next. If Jesus, Mark 3 says, that the strong man, when he's fully armed, he guards his palaces, he guards his goods. The Bible says that unless one stronger than the strong man comes, the, there's no hope to retrieve what we've lost. That's a picture of the devil having, having uh, taken man captive through sin. Death spread, to all, death spread to all men. All men were led into captivity to the devil, into uh, captivity to his kingdom, into captivity, into his laws. And the law of sin and death that then ruled. After Adam's sin, the law of sin and death ruled over mankind. But the scripture says, when one stronger than the strong man comes, he will destroy the strong man and he will allow the people to come back in and plunder his goods. Do you understand that that's what Jesus did? In his death, burial, and resurrection, he went in. He didn't come into like the suburbs of hell. He went into the inner city of hell. He found the headquarters of hell, found the devil where he was at, dealt him a head-crushing blow, and then humiliated, publicly showed him off before heaven, earth, and hell. And, and, and as such, released those that were in captivity. And there was an emancipation proclamation that was given that day. All you that are in prison doors, all you that are bound, all you that are in captivity, all you that are sick, all you that have suffered at the hands of a cruel devil, your day of freedom is here. That's why Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't have to stay poor anymore. What's good news to the sick? You don't have to stay sick another day in your life what's good news to the mentally distraught you can have peace with God that surpasses all understanding and then it goes on to say that Jesus came to preach the favorable year of the Lord the day of God's favor we're not in the day of God's wrath the Bible says God has not appointed us unto wrath he's appointed us unto salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ God's not angry at you God's not in wrath with you God's not uh, uh, wrathful with you God's not uh, looking, uh, uh, trying to drop a plan to make life hard for you. The Bible says we now have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible even says if God reconciled us to himself and gave up his son while we were enemies with him, how much more having been reconciled will he be good to us? So I want you to set your expectation today as I get into the seven areas that we have dominion that I'm not, I'm not hearing this message only to be blessed for a little five-minute period and then afterwards, you know, go back to reality. No, I'm praying that this heavenly reality is going to overwhelm whatever reality you've been, lived, you've been living in. The Bible says we are to set our mind on things of heaven. We're not to set our mind on the earthly things. We're not to set our mind on the way the world... Uh, you know, perceives life to be. We, we live by a different set of rules because we have another God, a different God, a God who owns heaven and earth, a God who said all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. So I want, I'm going to continue with Ephesians 6 before I move on because this, I wanted to read this. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So notice how it doesn't say, 
Notice how it doesn't say put on the full armor of God that you might be able to, you know, if you fall, get back up. No, that you may be able to stand. That shows you no matter what the devil's done to you or your family, God's given you armor to stand. That's why Jesus said, those that hear my words and doesn't do them, they are like people that built their house on sand. So if all you do is hear me preach today and you get goosebumps and you feel good for a little while, but you don't change anything because I'm going to show you how to take dominion. It's important not just to know you have dominion, but how to take dominion. You know, if, if all I did will show you that there's a, uh, uh, if you were a starving human being and I showed you a warehouse full of food and I just said, there's all the food, but I didn't give you the key that was in my pocket to access that food, then what good is it? That's what a lot of preachers do. They show you all the things that are available to you in Christ Jesus, but they never give you practical keys to access those things. So today, I'm going to give you practical keys to access those things so that the last day you've been dominated by the devil in any of these seven areas will be the last day you've ever been dominated from the de by the devil. From this day, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. No matter what the devil says about it, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. No matter what they are. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So notice how it says that we have an enemy. If you live like there is no enemy, you're going to live a hard life. I was starting off before. There's four categories of Christians. Those that ignore that there is a devil. There's those that understand that there is a devil but they live in terror of the devil then there's those that have somewhat of a revelation of dominion but they're constantly battling devils constantly fighting devils never obtaining absolute total victory over darkness and then there's another level another category of christians which i believe you're going to enter into that if you've not entered into it already and those of you who are in it you can relate to this there's another category of christians where you know that the devil's under your feet where you walk not, you know, just like Jesus when he walked in Mark chapter 5 on the, 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 the shores of the Gadarene region. The Bible says there was a man in that region who could not be tamed with shackles and chains. No matter how much they tried, there was no solution. They tried to bind him. They tried to keep him in a mental institute. Nothing worked. He was often breaking through by supernatural strength and would go to the mountains. And in the mountains, he would cut himself with stones and would cry out day and night. You know, that's exactly what the if the you would if you would give the devil full control of your life that's exactly what you would look like you know the devil doesn't have plans to bless you there's some of you that you know maybe before you got saved you believed that if you you know if you lived in sin long enough that you actually wouldn't get hurt that much that like you know the devil some of you had a a poor picture of the devil that he actually you know kind of you know they have that that show right now on netflix that is number one in america called lucifer that shows him that he's actually kind of a good guy, helping law enforcement to like solve crimes and stuff like that. Some people live like that. There, there's that song that call, uh, there, it's called "The Highway to Hell," that shows you that hell's only gonna be like a rock a rock party, just where rock music and people, you know, just enjoying their life. I have to tell you today, hell is not gonna be like that. Hell's not some enjoyable place. The devil is not out to bless you. The devil's not out to help you. The devil is not out to in any way make life enjoyable for you. He deceives you for a little while by making you to think. To make you know, focus on the fleeting pleasure of sin. But it's a fleeting pleasure. Once that pleasure is gone, the sin nature begins to corrode your body, corrode your life, corrode every aspect of your life until you're left with nothing, robbed and stripped of everything God wanted you to have. The Bible says very clearly when 
that Gadarene demoniac heard the footstep of Jesus hit the seashore. Though man couldn't tame him, he ran to where Jesus was and said the same thing in Mark 1 that that demon said. They're all the same. You'll, you'll find out that if Jesus crushed Satan's head, who was the master of the, of the kingdom of hell, who was the master of those legions, if Jesus gave us power over the devil himself, then all of those under him in class, how much easier do you suppose you should be able to take authority over those those you know, less powerful de demons. If the master himself has been bound, oh, he's not bound yet, but if the master himself has been like defeated, has been crushed, has been set aside, spoiled, humiliated, how much more do you suppose the rest of his army will be? How much easier do you suppose it's going to be to take, take control of the rest of his army? Those, that legion came to where Jesus was. What have we to do together? Have you come to destroy us before the time? Jesus cast them out into the pigs. And what did the pigs do? They went into the swine, into the, the swine fled in, over the cliff into the waters. That shows you the nature of hell is to get you to drown in life. The nature of hell is to get you to... What those pigs... Because those pigs don't, don't have the willpower that humans had. So that devil could do what inevit inevitably the devil wants to do with humans in like a split second. Put them over the cliff and drown them in the waters. And the Bible says very clearly, all throughout Jesus' ministry, you can see this, you know, there was people that were mute, deaf, and the Bible calls it, it was a spirit of muteness that was crippling them. So the enemy seeks to arrest people whom God has already purchased freedom for. And if you let him do it, he'll do it. God, you know, people always say, well, what God allows will, ha will happen. God will allow what you allow. God will permit what you permit. Just because God permitted it does not mean he, com does not mean he committed it. Just because God allowed it to happen does not mean God commissioned it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in verse 16, above all, take up the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. So reading that passage... The Bible doesn't paint a picture of the believer as some, you know, ransacked victim, helpless agent in life. The Bible makes it very clear that we have more than enough arsenal in our tool belt to have overwhelming victory everywhere we go. So I want to go through seven areas that God has given us dominion. Ephesians 1, before I, I read that. Ephesians 1 and verse 20, 21, 20. When he worked in Christ Jesus, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So the Bible says, God raised Christ up from the dead and seated him far above all these things. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, who is, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So he put all things under his feet and gave Christ to be the head over what? All things to the church. 
God made Christ to, the, to be the head of the church over all things, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the Bible says that Christ is the head, but we are his body. And the head doesn't have more authority than the body, and the body doesn't have more authority than the head. We are now, the Bible says, we have been joined with Christ and have become united with Him and one spirit with Him. So if the head, if all things have been put under His body, that means if you feel like you're the pinky toe in the body of Christ, you're still over all principalities and all dominions. And the Bible says he has made him to be head over all things. So what are seven of those all things? There are more than seven, but I want to go through seven of the main things that Christ has put you over in life. That we've overcome having been born again. Number one is sin. We have dominion over sin. Romans 6 says this. Romans chapter 6. Well, you know, I'm just trying to break free from sin. I'm just... If you have that mentality where you're thinking you're trying to break free from, from sin, when in reality we're going to read you're already free from sin, you're going to constantly be trying to break free from something. It's like um, they did an, exper an experiment once on an elephant, and they tied an elephant uh, by the neck to a massive tree trunk, and the elephant couldn't go. Then they cut, they cut the, the cord that was around the tree trunk, and the elephant was free to go. But because the thing was still around its neck and he still thought he was tied to that tree trunk, he never attempted to leave. He stayed within the confine of what that leash, he knew that leash would allow him to, to stay. And he stayed, he stayed bound even though he was free to go. And that's how some Christians are. They stay bound when they're free to go because of their confession and because of the way they're, they're taught. There was a video I saw not too long ago on Instagram that um, someone sent it to me on Instagram. There was a preacher that got up and he had a suit on and he started to talk about, you know, I want you to know I'm the worst sinner in this church. And immediately I'm thinking, if you're the worst sinner in this church, you should put that mic down and take a seat. Maybe go through some rehab and uh, recuperate yourself. If you're the worst sinner in this church, then he takes off his, his suit jacket and under it, under it is all kinds of sins listed on it that he, he wrote down on his white shirt under his suit jacket. Lust, envy, um, pride, adultery in one area. And I'm like, bro, if that's, if that's the lifestyle you're living, you need help. You, I mean, it's like people want to brag, preachers, they want to brag at how great of a sinner they are so that, well, we can relate more with our congregation. Jesus was a sinless lamb of God and he related to the people. He ate and, he ate and reclined with sinners, but he didn't sin. He was relatable to them. People liked him. They weren't trying to get away from, the only one trying to get away from Jesus was the religious crowd, but sinners flocked to him. And you have this guy coming out and I'm sure he was using the scripture. Paul was saying, that um, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I was the chief. He, he's not saying, I am the chief, because look at what Paul says in Romans 6. He was saying, I was the chief, because he murdered. He said, I did these things in ignorance. I was an insolent man. He murdered people that were part of the church. He brought them bound to Jerusalem and even consented to the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. So he said, I was the worst person, but God in His great mercy saved me. But this guy was taken as in like, you know, I'm the chief sinner. 
You know, if you think you're, he actually said it. If I can guarantee you, I sin more than you. I can guarantee you I'm a greater sinner than you are. And I'm like, goodness gracious, get this guy out. Did Satan hijack the microphone? Get this guy out. You're not fit for ministry if that's the life you're living behind the scenes. Or openly at that. This is what Paul said about sin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We have died to sin. How shall we live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old man, listen to this, Romans 6, 6, our old man, your old sinful man, your old um, man that had appetite to sin, had a desire to indulge in the fleshly lusts, that old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with though we should no longer be slaves of sin. For if we have died, for he who has died has been freed from sin. I want you to write that in the comment section. I'm freed from sin. I have dominion over sin. But modern day preachers, how many of you know we sin every day? You shouldn't. You should, the Bible says Jesus gave us his command to his disciples, you should be holy, even as I am holy. You should be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. He even said, if your right hand causes you to sin, if there's something that's causing you to sin, day in and day out, cut it off. Not, well, how many of you are, how many of you are grateful for the grace of God, that no matter what you do, God's there to catch you? You know that the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that there are many who have insulted the spirit of grace and have trampled the blood of the Son of God underfoot because they live like that? He who has died has been freed from sin. I'm dead with Christ. And I'm risen with Him. And I now, Romans 6, 4 says, walk in newness of life. What's that newness of life? Should look different from the old life. Well, I'm still a recovering alcoholic. 13 years into salvation. When you get around the anointing, two things will happen. One, you're going you're gonna to feel a fear of God come on you. And if you are in sin, something will come in you that you, you want to break free from that. You don't want to do it anymore. When the anointing, when you get around an anointed atmosphere, environment, an anointed meeting, revival service, there should be two things that happen. One, there's a fear of God that comes on you that teaches you to hate sin and deny sin. But that's not enough. Just to hate sin is not enough. There are many who hate being heroin addicts, but they're not free from heroin addiction. There are many who hate being bound to uh, cigarette addiction and, and alcohol addiction and pornography addiction. I get many people that come to me and ask me, they want to be broken free from these things. And they, they don't want to stay in it. They don't, but there's something that rises in them that they haven't been... They haven't put under. And as such, they constantly fall victim to these things. And they're drawn, they're driven. A heroin addict, you ask him if he, the first two times he did heroin, how do you like it? It was great. After that, I hated it. Never wanted to do it again. But I can't stop it. And they keep putting, putting it in through, through their veins. And they can't, they can't stop it. There's something that controls them. There's something that reigns in their life. 
But look at what the Bible says. So number one, there's a hate that will come on you for sin, but the anointing lifts up the heavy burden and destroys the captivity of sin. Destroys every yoke of bondage, Isaiah 10, 27. Notice how it doesn't say it breaks the yoke. Because if you break something, you can repair it. If you break, if I took a plate and I dropped it and it just broke in two, I can take glue and repair it and, and probably still use it. But if I destroyed it, if I took a mallet, a hammer and started a sledgehammer and started whacking at that plate a thousand times till it was just powdered dust, you can't put that thing back together. There's a lot of people who they've had like a little breakthrough in sin, but they haven't destroyed that sin nature in them and haven't taken authority over it. That's why they keep having several months of freedom and then they get back in it. But I tell you today, in the name of Jesus, you will leave this broadcast knowing how to take dominion over the sin in your life. You're going to see from the Word of God that I don't have to sin. That's a lie from hell. You, well, we all sin every day. How many of you know, no matter how, how much we try, we'll only enter into holiness when we die and go to heaven, when we'll get bodies like Christ. The Bible says Jesus was tempted even as we are. He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. And Jesus said, works you saw me do, you'll do in greater works. If Jesus can live a sinless life by the power of the Holy Ghost in him, as he can overcome temptation, there's power in the Holy Ghost resident in you to overcome no matter how high and no matter how intense the temptation that can come your way. God said he is faithful and just to provide a way of escape so that you can, you can escape the temptation. He who has died has been freed from sin. We have died with Christ. We believe that we'll live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having died, having raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Verse 11, pay special attention to this. Likewise, likewise, you also. I want you to say it out loud. That's me. That's me. You also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Dead to sin. Not still sinning. The Bible says in 1 John 3, he, uh, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, but he who practices righteousness is righteous even as he is. And he who, the Bible says in 1 John 3, that those who are born again have God's seed abiding in them and they cannot sin for God's seed lives in them. Talking about the Holy Spirit. So you, you have to see yourself as being dead to sin and alive to God and empowered by the Spirit to live a holy life. Verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. Well, I try hard to like stop, but you know what? You know, it's not about trying hard to stop. It's about knowing what God's Word has said about you having it in your heart, and then confessing it boldly. I'm dead to sin. Sin no longer reigns in my body. Righteousness. Now, the same, you know how the same way when I was in the world, I had a, a drive. There was a, a, an appetite in me to smoke up, to, to do whatever, to live a wild lifestyle. There was an appetite. There was a drive in me. And to go to church was like I couldn't do it. There was no desire whatsoever in me to go to church. No desire to fast, no desire to pray, no desire to read my Bible. The Bible says, if you continue on Romans uh, 6, that 
now that we've been set free from sin, we now became slaves of righteousness. So we were slaves of sin. We went wherever sin brought us. But now that we're set free, when you understand you're set free and you start to live in the reality and the consciousness and the awareness of that, you now confess, I'm a slave of righteousness. And the same urge you had to sin, it's, even, it's a greater urge, but to do righteousness. That's why he said that we are to present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead and the members of our body no longer as instruments of sin, weapons to sin, but the members of our body, we are to present to God, our hands and our feet, as weapons of righteousness for service to God. These hands used to roll joints. Now these hands are anointed with the Holy Ghost and fire to lay hands on the sick and violently expel sickness in people's bodies. These eyes used to look at all kinds of nonsense. Now... These eyes are used to behold the wonders of God's Word and the power of His Word, the revelation of His Word. These ears listen to all kinds of nonsense. But now these ears are attentive to hear what the Spirit of God is saying by the Word of knowledge, by the Word of wisdom, whatever. God leads by His Spirit. Uh, the Bible says that those are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Now these ears are being led by the Spirit of God to go where God tells me to go. These feet used to go to all kinds of dirty places, clubs and bars. But now these feet have been shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now they take me to the far corners of the earth to preach this gospel of salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This mind was a mind filled with all kinds of corruptible things. But now I've put on the mind of Christ. I think the thoughts of God. I, 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 I dwell and meditate on God's goodness. Hallelujah. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lust. Don't present your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness as sin, but present yourselves as, to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law, but under grace. Grace is not an exemption card to keep on sinning. Every time you sin, well, I'm under grace, amen. You know what? You know how many preachers I know that wrote full-out books on like hyper-grace doctrine? That God's forgiven your past, present, and future sins no matter what you've done. You're, you're, you're right. You're all right. You have peace with God. Bull. Yes, God, if you sin tomorrow, God will forgive you. But God doesn't forgive a sinner. God forgives a repentant sinner. God doesn't forgive you because you sinned. And you asked him. He doesn't forgive you because you asked for forgiveness. He forgives you when you ask for forgiveness and then repent. Peter told the people in Acts chapter 2, repent and believe. He didn't say ask God for forgiveness and then believe. He said repent. Repent. Turn from your old lifestyle. That's why in Psalm 51, David prayed, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight. And he said, a broken and contrite heart, you, O oh God, will not despise. What's a broken heart? It's one that's understood. I've messed up. I've fallen short. I missed the mark. But it doesn't stay broken. That's where a lot of Christians stay. Well, how many of you know we're broken in His sight? Amen. No, not amen. Because you are broken when you come to Christ. But the Bible says He mends the brokenhearted and lifts them up on their feet. When you come to Christ, He restores that broken heart. He restores your broken life. He takes the pieces and your ashes as you give it to Him. He brings you back in beauty. He takes your, your sorrow and He gives you the oil of joy. He takes the dirty and He gives you the clean. He, you, he takes your death and He gives you His life. He takes your sin and He gives you His 
his righteousness. He takes your bondage and he gives you his freedom. So we don't stay broken. I mean, even though we're all broken, you know, I just, I'm just trying to stay in that position of brokenness. What? That's totally against scripture. Nowhere in the New Testament do you see that. And they're quoting a broken and contrite heart you will, not, you will not despise. David had just sinned, the worst sin he had ever sinned in his life. And he came back and he says, sacrifice, oh God, you didn't desire. So he's saying, I can't pay myself, I can't pay my way back into goodness, into good standing with you. Because if, if sacrifice was all God wanted, then I would give it, David said. But he said, a broken and contrite heart, one that understood without God's righteousness, I'm a deprived human being. But the Bible says in Romans 8, hallelujah, when the spirit of life in Christ Jesus comes on you, it sets you free from the law of sin and death that kept you broken. That's why 1 John chapter 3 says that he has brought us out of judgment into life. He's brought us out of death into life. He's brought us out of chains into freedom. He's brought us out of brokenness. And when the woman with the issue of blood touched him, he said, woman, great is your faith. Thy faith has made thee whole. We have power, number one, to dominate sin. If sin's not put under, it'll put you under. Some of you have never heard, you know, Genesis 4, the Bible says of Cain, when he offered up a bad offering to God, God said, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to dominate you. Sin unchecked will dominate every area of your life. And it's like a poison that'll rot everything it touches. But the Bible says that we are not to be dominated by sin. Let not sin have dominion over you, for you're no longer under law, but under grace. The law, the letter killed. The letter, the, the Old Testament showed people, this is how fall, far you've fallen from the glory of God, from God's holy standards. But when grace came, the Bible says, of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. When grace came, grace as an empowering force that allows you to get up and sin no more. Jesus told that woman caught in adultery, now, now that I don't, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. He told that man that he had healed at the pool of Bethesda, now that you've been made well, sin no more, lest the worst thing come on you. God would never give us a commandment without giving us power to fulfill that commandment. He would never, he would never tell us His will for our lives without giving us empowerment, the ability to, to perform His will in our lives. And the Bible says, and let me read this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, listen to this. I hope this is helping you today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So all those preachers that preach on hyper grace, God's forgiven, you know, th those guys are all, not all of them, but I know several of them that a couple of years later it came out, they were in adultery. There was some sort of hidden sin behind the scenes that they were indulging in, and as such, you know, what you believe is what you'll experience. What you believe, you're empowered to become. So when you believe that loose living lifestyle, it's under the blood, brother, it's under the blood. While you still do it day in and day out, you're going to become that. You are going to become that. I guarantee you that preacher that had that shirt listed with all kinds of, I guarantee you he'll be out of the ministry in 10 years. I don't pray for that. I pray that things change. But there's no way you can have, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're speaking that publicly, on an open platform before your congregation and listing all those things out, there, there's something going on behind the scenes that you're almost like preparing the congregation for. 1 Thessalonians 4, this is what the Bible says. 
Just as you receive from us, you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So God's will for you is to be sanctified. What's sanctified? It's to be set apart. It's to come out from the unclean thing. It's to be separate from this world. Sanctification is to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's the process by which we are being conformed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. And then you should abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. The Bible says that we are to know how to possess our own vessels in sanctification and honor. I'll give you a couple of tips on how you can enjoy practical dominion over sin. Number one, don't go where sinners go. You're never going to stop sinning if you keep on going where it's easy to sin. Number two, don't make your close associates, your closest friends, people that are are happy living lives of sin, that are happy going in the way that they're going, that are on the Broadway leading unto destruction, and they're happy to go there. Find lions in life. If you hang around chickens, you'll end up a chicken. If you hang around lions, you're going to morph into a lion, even if you're on a lion now. You'll take on the nature of a lion. You'll start to walk like a lion, talk like a lion, act like a lion. Don't hang around people that are content with sin. Hang around people that live holy lives. The Bible says, Paul told Timothy, that you are to sanctify yourself um, and, and gather around people who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful lust, Timothy, and pursue love, righteousness, faith, and, and purity with those who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So pursue their... Don't think that you're alone on the earth, the only one that has desires to live holy. There are many people. And God will bring those people in your path. And then I'll give you another tip, is don't have on your TV things you don't want in your life. If you're watching television shows that are all about people, you know, like um, Days of Our Lives, like, uh, what do you call it, those uh, soap operas, where it's all about people cheating on one another, and then all of a sudden your marriage is going through the rocks, well, your eye is the gateway to your heart. If your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is set on darkness, don't be surprised when darkness has root in your life. And you, and you start struggling. And you start dragging your feet through life. So number one, dominion over sin. Number two, dominion over your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting out arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience until your obedience is fulfilled. Casting down, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing, every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the knowledge or the obedience of Christ. Your mind is not your master. You have dominion over your mind. You, you don't have to let your mind run wherever it wants to go. You can take control over your thoughts. The Bible instructs us that we can do that. Take every thought captivity to the obedience of Christ, to the knowledge of God's Word. So if you don't know God's Word, that's why the Scripture says we are to guard our hearts above all things, for out of it flows the issues of life. If you don't know God's Word, 
then you're going to have a hard time taking thoughts into captivity to God's Word, to the knowledge of God, because you don't even know what God's Word says on the matter. So if a thought of premature death comes in your mind, but you don't know that God's Word says, with long life I'm going to satisfy you and show you my salvation, then you're, you have no ability to take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ's Word. So your ability to have dominion in your mind is contingent upon your intake of God's Word daily. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When the enemy came to tempt Jesus and tried to sow thoughts of doubt into his life, if you are the Son of God, the devil always works by the power of suggestion. He did it in the Garden of Eden. If Did God really say? He tries to make God's word a conspiracy theory. Did God really say that if you eat of the tree of, of the knowledge of good the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you'll surely die ah he you won't die that's conspiracy theory so the devil works through the power of suggestion he tries to bring another side that's contrary to god's side and when you just let that thought saturate in your mind it begins to grow that's why you have to uh, number one identify and locate the thought that is you know you the way you can identify a thought that's from hell is by um, measuring how you feel when that thought comes in. If that thought gets you disturbed, if that thought settles fear in your heart, if that thought starts to get you anxious, you can know that's not God because the Bible says God will speak to His people. He shall speak peace to His people. God, when He speaks, it brings peace. It brings peace. It brings joy. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that He shall bring forth His people with joy and He shall lead them out with peace. So God's Word, will, Jeremiah said, Thy Word was found and I ate them and they became to me the joy and gladness of my heart. So when the enemy speaks, it's totally opposite to that. It brings distress. It brings depression. It brings sorrow. It brings hurt. It brings doubt. It brings um, uncertain thoughts about the future. It gets you to kind of panic in a sense so when you number one you have to identify that thought number two you got to find out what god says concerning that area that the enemy's trying to get you to concern yourself with the devil tries to sow thoughts of sickness in your you know you're going to get sick you know that flu's going around you know that runs through your family you have to find out what god says about your butt you know there's nothing in life that pertains to your life. Nothing in life. No category of life that God's word doesn't deal with at length. Finances. And that's why we're going through this today. The seven areas you have dominion. Because I'm showing you from the word of God every place. You know when I talked about sin. I showed you what the Bible says about sin. The devil will make you to believe you have to keep on sinning. Bible says very clearly you don't have to have sin reign in your mortal, in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Sin is a, is a living thing. You don't have to obey. In the same vein, when it, when it comes to prosper, when it comes to financial prosperity, when it comes to you uh, excelling in, in in financial abundance and not living in a place of constant need, you can listen to the devil. You'll always stay poor. Your parents were poor. Your family's poor. You'll you'll stay poor. You'll die poor. Or you can find out what God did through Abraham. He was found. Not very wealthy, but in one chapter, Genesis 13, 2, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And when you begin to meditate, that's why Joshua God told Joshua in Joshua 1a, Thou shalt have this book of the law, never depart from your mouth, but thou shalt meditate on it day and night. When you begin to meditate on it, you know, your mind's not going to take dominion over itself. You have to intentionally put it under you. 
The Bible says that I bring my body in subjection to my spirit, lest I should be disqualified. You have to bring your mind into the subjection of, into subjection to the Word of God. You dominate your mind by having God's Word reign in your, in your mind. The Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 8, Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is excellent, if there's anything that is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Paul said we, that means it's something we have to intentionally do. Something we have to, we have to uh, deliberately do. It's not something that's going to accidentally happen. People that have victory in life are not people that stumbled into it. There are people that have taken a firm check of their life, found out the instruction towards victory, and have intentionally stepped towards that. It's not people who just stumble on it. Victory, dominion, is not something that just falls into your lap. It's something you have to deliberately take action on day after day. And then you find out, at first it might be a little difficult. At first it might be a little, you know, a little harder than, and it might be like a battle almost. But after a while, the battle gets easier. After a while, the enemy backs off. The Bible says after three temptations, the devil left Jesus and came back for a more, he left for a more opportune time. I mean, he, he realized there's nothing I can do here now. I'll come back another time. Hallelujah. The Bible says you can dominate your mind. Colossians 3, I said it before, you're to set your mind on things above. Not let your, your mind just go wherever it wants to go. You take authority over your mind. I will dwell on the promises of God today. I will med how David said in Psalm 119, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. He made a practice to meditate on God's word. And then the more you get the word sown in your heart, the more you meditate on it, the less, the, the, the less powerful the devil's lies and deceitful thinking is going to be towards you. You're not going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The next time he tries to sow a thought of doubt, you're, you'll have a violent reaction. Actually, no, it is written. Actually, no, it is written. Actually, no, it is written. Get thee behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. That's what Satan tries to do. He tries to get you mindful of the things of men. But when you're set to be mindful of the things of God, and what God says concerning your case, he loses his power. The devil has no power at all other than the ability to deceive people. He has no... He does not... I mean, in all my travels, and in my five years of ministry, as I've given altar calls all throughout America, North America, and South America. I've never seen an actual devil come out with a pitchfork as someone was coming up to the altar and just like back them, back, back to their, you know, back them up to their seat and say, no, you're not getting saved today. Never. All he can do is get them to say, this is, you know, the Bible says when the seed is sown, he immediately comes and snatches away the seed sown in the heart. That's his, that's his, his strategy of war, to try and take God's word out of your heart. 
But I pray even today, grace is coming on you, that as the word of God gets in your heart, you're not going to be a forgetful hearer. You're not going to be one that hears the word and immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. No, you're going to stay in the perfect law of liberty. God's word shall dwell richly in your heart, in wisdom and in understanding. And you'll have a shield of faith round about that when the enemy throws a, a fiery dart your way, it'll be quickly quenched because of that shield called faith in your life. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Dominion over your mind. Number three, dominion over your body. You have dominion over your body. Dominion over your health. Exodus 23 and 25 says, If thou shalt serve the Lord your God, He will bless your bread and your water, and He will take sickness out of your midst. That's not, I'll heal you when you get sick. That's, I'll not even, I'll not even allow sickness to come on you. Psalm 91. The Bible says pestilence, sickness, deadly disease will stalk in darkness, but it shall not come, come near you. I have dominion over my physical body. The Bible says no man hates his own body, but cherishes it and nourishes it, even as Christ does the church. So that means Christ is interested in a nourished and a strong church. Not just spiritually, physically. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your spirit and your body. Both. God wants, you to, God wants to get glory not only in your spirit, but in your body. And the way you glorify God in your body is to walk in supernatural health. The Israelites knew this, obviously coming out of Egypt. The Bible says He led them forth by silver and gold, and there was none feeble, none weak, none frail. Nobody was like, hey, can we take a break here? Uh, you know, my knees are really getting sore, and we've been walking for the last three days con uh, continuous. None. None weak, none frail, none feeble amongst all their tribe. They, and if they, under the old covenant, having put their faith in a, in, in a lamb that was slain, that was not the actual lamb of God, it was a type and a shadow. If they, under the old covenant, could enjoy that, which was, the Bible says, uh, a covenant which glory was passing away. But we have a, a covenant of righteousness which glory will never fade away. If under the old covenant, which was a passing away glory, a fading glory, they were able to enjoy supernatural strength in Israel so that none of them were weak, none of them sick. No, there was nobody dying before their time. They lived supernaturally long and strong lives. How much more shall we now in this new covenant where we have the full revelation of Christ. How he said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life abundantly in every area of your life, even in the area of your physical health. How much more should we be able to walk in strength, walk in vitality? We should be the, the, the healthiest people on the earth. But the reality of it is that people aren't taught this message in the body of Christ. They're taught it's normal to be sick. They're taught to expect sickness in life. They're taught that sickness is just a part of old age or it's a part of life that we have to, you know, we all have different struggles. And as such, they have no line of defense against sickness when it comes their way. But the Bible says very clearly, a thousand can die around you, 10,000 all around you, but it shall not come near you. It shall not come near you. He bore our sickness. He carried our pains. Jesus, there is no record of Jesus ever being sick. There is no record of the disciples of Christ ever being sick as they traveled with Him. As they got around the anointing, there is not one record that one of them. It's not like Peter was like, hey, you guys go to Capernaum. I'm really coming down with a fever. I'm not going to be able to make that trip. Um, Jesus, I'll meet you in Galilee when you come back, when you come back around again and, and I'll see you there. No, no record. As they got around the anointing. Well, that anointing, 
Jesus is in the heavens now. But that anointing dwells in us. And that spirit, the Bible says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Anything that defiles God's temple, 1 Corinthians 6 says, God will destroy. Sickness is a defiling, a defiling agent of the temple of God. Don't tolerate it. Violently reject sickness in your life. Smith Wigglesworth used to ball up his fists and punch people wherever they were sick. And the thing left. And they asked him, why do you have to use such harsh method, methods? He said, because when I look at a sickness, I don't see a biological element to it. I see the spiritual root of it. I see the devil's face directly. And I don't deal gently with the devil. The devil's not a gentleman. You shouldn't treat him like that. You should see your body as a house. Would you let a thief just come into your house, turn on the TV, put his dirty shoes on your couch, your nice white couch and start watching whatever he wants while you were watching a movie with your family and then you're just there with your family well you know i guess uh i guess you know let me ask him if he wants anything would you like some food is the thermostat set properly would you like this is the room too hot for you some people that's how they treat the devil in their bodies that's how they treat sickness well you know we're not promised health here what have you read your bible Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 58 talks about the curse of the law being tumors, mildew, fever, and every sickness and plague that is not listed in, it, in this book. Even those things that are not listed in it is part of the curse of the law. If you read Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 58. Christ has redeemed us, Galatians 3, 13, from all the curse of the law. So if the curse of the law, you want to see what God's will is for your body? Look at Jesus and then look at Adam. Was Adam sick? Did Adam have to take Benadryl? Adam was enjoying supernatural health because he was clothed in glory. Well, when Adam forfeited that privilege, sin entered the world and death spread to all men. And the, an agent of death, the strong, you know, death is the end goal of sickness. Sickness spread to all men. But then Christ came to restore that which was lost in Adam. So now we can enjoy the glory of Eden. If it wasn't in Eden, it has no business in my body. If it wasn't in, in, if it's not allowed in Christ, then it's not allowed in me. Because I'm joined with Christ and I've become one with Him. Jesus had such a violence against sickness and disease that when He saw, when He saw Peter, Peter's mother-in-law sick with a fever, he, he, didn't even be, he wasn't even asked to go and heal her. He just saw her in that condition and went, I, I can't tolerate this. We have no fellowship with one another. Sickness and I don't get along. And he went and lifted her up and rebuked the fever and immediately it left and she served them. You have dominion over sickness and disease. The Bible says very clearly, by his stripes you're healed and the same stripes that healed you are the same stripes, the same price, the same Price that was paid for you to walk in healing, to walk in health. There should be such an over... Look at Peter. Such an overflow of healing. Not only was he healthy, his shadow falling on people was healing them. See yourself that way. I'm not just healthy. I carry healing to my generation. People that get around me, they don't infect me. What's in me infects them. Well, I don't want to shake your hand. I have a flu. You're more, you're more, you have more faith in your flu getting in me. There's more people that have more faith in their flu, in their bacteria getting in others, than they do in the anointing that's in them to get into others. That has the ability to totally eliminate 
sickness in other people's bodies. Number four, so number three is your, number one is sin, dominion over sin. Number two is dominion over your mind. Number three, dominion over your body. Number four, dominion over your immediate family. Some of you are believing God for your family to be saved. I'll give you a testimony. When, uh, I think it was like 2017, my brother was not saved. He wasn't living a holy life. He was totally, you know, out in the world. And for many, he's older than I. For many years, my parents tried to get him to come to church, didn't want any business. I asked them to come to church, didn't want anything to do with it. So I remember in that January, I went on a 21-day fast, and I began to, one of my points on that fast was to pray for my brother, and that he would get, so that he would get saved, and, uh, and like not just saved, I mean coming to church. I mean like fire-filled, like a born-again Christian. New desires, totally changed direction. It was in April of that year. I fasted in January. April of that year, I didn't do anything. I wasn't inviting him to church. I wasn't doing anything. A couple of months later, he ends up coming to church, gets saved, registers to get baptized. And, uh, and now, that, that was in 2017. Now he's a board member at the church, on fire, filled with the Holy Spirit, and doing ex exactly, you know, the guy's gotten blessed since then, found, uh, got a wife, has a child now, and is supernaturally blessed. All that came as a result of one fast. Where I, what did I do on that fast? I didn't just pray for him to get saved. I took authority. You have to understand, when people don't get saved, there's something spiritual behind it. It's not just because they don't want to, they don't want to get saved. If they understood what salvation meant, they'd get saved. If they, if they saw what hell really was like, they'd get saved. But the problem is, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the devil, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest they should believe. So what you have to do is you take authority over the blinding forces of hell that are preventing, hindering people in your immediate family from getting saved. Kenneth, I learned that from Kenneth Hagin. He was praying for his brother Dub Hagin for many years. Nothing. Nothing happening. No... No inclination of this guy ever coming to the church that he was pastoring at. Then one day, he found a revelation in Ephesians chapter 1, what I just I read before, I read the last broadcast on Tuesday, that Jesus is seated in heavenly places, and then we are seated in heavenly places with Him far above those principalities. So he had that revelation kick into his heart, and he immediately said, Devil, I take authority. You forces that are at work against my brother's salvation, I take authority over you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I destroy your work. I claim my brother's salvation. He shall be saved, and it shall happen in its time. Well, it wasn't until two weeks later, his brother Dub comes into the church, and he, he lifts his hand when the altar call is given and gets saved. It took him two weeks. And the devil, within that two weeks, when Kenneth Hagin hadn't seen the fruit yet, the devil, Hagin said, he kept sowing thoughts. Do you really think that just saying those words is going to get me to back off? Do you really think? And Hagin said, whenever he would try and sow doubt in my heart, I just belly laughed. I didn't give him any room. You give no room to the devil. Don't give him any room in your mind. Don't give him any room in your life. Don't give him any room in your thoughts. Just belly laugh. That's what G God's doing. The wicked plot against the just. The Bible says the rulers of the earth take counsel against the anointed. They're trying to screw up. The devil's try been trying to screw up God's plan since day one. But the Bible says God is in the heavens and he laughs. You should, anytime, you know, I, I would encourage you. Whoever you're, you know, you have to claim your, your immediate family's salvation. You can't claim, you know, just random people's salvation on the streets. You have to claim your immediate family salvation. You have authority over your immediate family. You don't have authority over everybody on earth because people have their own will. They can choose to reject or choose Christ. But you do have authority in your immediate family. Acts 16 says when Paul, uh, 
spoke to the Philippian jailer. He said, believe and both you and your family shall be saved. You and your household shall be saved. So that's a scripture you can stand on. God didn't just send the gospel to me. Look at Cornelius. When God wanted to get the gospel to Cornelius as he was praying and fasting, he gathered his household. And when Peter came to preach, the whole household got baptized in the Holy Ghost, saved and delivered. So it's not just for you. It's for you and your house. You have authority over your immediate family. Bible says in Psalm 112, How blessed is the man who fears God? His generation shall be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. So you have a scriptural right to claim a blessing for your children. And part of the blessing of God, Acts 3, I think it's Acts 3.19, God sent Jesus first to bless you by turning you away from your iniquity. The number one way God blesses people is by turning them away from sin and turning them to Christ in faith. Number five, dominion over finances. Deuteronomy 28, listen to this. You can have dominion over the area of finances. Man, I got to hurry up. Deuteronomy 28, now it shall come to pass, if you'll diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Well, they make it the same that if you obey God, God's going to bless you financially. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be in the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks, yeah, well, God is talking about farming. That when, you know, if you'll obey God, God will bless your farms. Do you have a farm? No. How's your, but in those days, that was their means of income. However blessed they were in their fields, that's how blessed they were. But now the, in 2021, not everyone, I mean, I think it's less than 3% are farmers. Most people do not farm. But you can use this. Blessed shall you be in your career. Blessed shall you be in your job. Blessed shall you be... In your business, blessed shall you be in your, in your wallet. Blessed shall you be in your bank account. Blessed shall your cattle be. Blessed shall the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be, be your baskets and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you put your hand. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. He'll establish you as a holy people to Himself, just as He's sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and will be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods. The New Living Translation says the God... The, the Lord will grant you plenty of prosperity in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock produce of your ground in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. And the Lord will open to you His good treasure, the heavens, to give you the rain in your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations and never borrow. Hallelujah. The Lord will make you the head and never the tail. You'll be above and not beneath if you'll heed the voice of the Lord your God, which I... 
command you today and carefully observe them. So you'll not turn aside from any of the words which I command you to the right or to the left to go after other gods. So the Bible says if you're obedient to God's instruction, which when it comes to taking financial dominion, uh, the instruction of God before dominion comes in the area of finances is that you have to give. The Bible says... Um, Give, and it shall be given unto you. The scripture talks about a story in First Kings, First Kings chapter 17. There was the widow of Zarephath who was in a famine, in a drought, and she was preparing her last meal. And the prophet came to her and said, Make me first a cake from, from the, the last portion you have, and it shall come to pass when you obey me in that, that the bin of flour you have will never be used up, and the jar of oil will never dry up until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Well, she could have easily have said, well, all these preachers want is your money. When we preach, when I preach on stewardship and financial, uh, financial dominion and in the area of giving, seed time harvest, it's not so that you can, I can have a bigger offer. Whether people give or not, it doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. I'm in covenant with God. This ministry is in covenant with God. God will get ravens to bring me bread and meat in the morning and at night. Whether people give or not, nothing in this ministry will ever stop. So my my biblical perspective of giving is when I give, I'm not supporting a ministry. I'm putting whatever I have in the hands of the multiplier that he'll multiply it back to me so that I can have an abundance to do everything God has for me to do. So that woman could have easily have said, well, he wants is my money. Well, this insensitive preacher, this charlatan coming through town, seeing how much I have left, my kids literally looking like they're just flesh and bones. And we, he wants me to make him something first? To heck with that. If she had had that attitude, she would have died. And she would have suffered the duration of that famine. She would have died. She would have never made it. But instead, she, the Bible says that she said, Master, I'm telling you, this is the last thing that I have. Prophet, this is the last that I have. Elijah said, yes, but don't fear. Do as I've said, and what you have will multiply. What did Elijah do? Elijah was giving her instructions to have dominion in the area of their finances, even in an era of drought. So this dominion over finances that I'm talking about is not just when the Dow Jones is booming at its highest. This is an area. This is a covenant agreement God has with people that will stay in covenant with him. That no matter the economic turmoil on the earth, no matter the financial crisis that hits the earth, God has, she was in a drought. And the Bible says the jar of oil never ran dry and the bin of flour never was used up until the day the, the Lord sent rain on the earth. And she and he and her household, her whole house, ate for many days. Hallelujah. I mean, you look at Jesus' dominion. People always say, well, Jesus was poor. You know, he didn't have much. Really? Do you, do you see homeless people on the street traveling with a treasurer? Jesus had a treasurer that traveled him everywhere. And it was Judas who was dipping his thief hands into that treasury. And as much as he took, as much as he took, none of the disciples even knew that he was stealing from the treasury. If I have $18 in my bank account and someone, gave, someone took a dollar, if I would notice if the bank took a dollar from me. I, I thought I had 18 It says $17. But do you think Bill Gates, if someone took a dollar from Bill Gates, he'd notice it? He wouldn't notice it. Jesus had such overflow in finances that 
There was a thief taking regularly from his treasury and nobody around him noticed. That doesn't happen when you're poor. Also, poor people don't have nice clothes and the Bible says they cast lots for his garments. It was a, one, a seamless woven garment. That was like the Prada of that day. Jesus wasn't poor. That's right, Leah. He was gifted gold at birth. Even when Jesus was a baby, he had dominion. I tell you in the name of Jesus, as you're faithful in the area of finances, God will take care of you. Jesus was a baby and three wise men out of nowhere came and brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which actually stu theologians studied that and determined that that money, it wasn't just like, you know how you see in most like cartoons when he brings out, there's like this one little treasure co uh, case of gold and a little tiny bit of frankincense and here's a little myrrh in a little jar that's not what they had chariots upon chariots that they delivered people say that the wealth that was transferred into the hands of mary joseph and jesus in that one that one time was sufficient to carry them through egypt as long as they were in egypt because remember after that they had a vision to go to egypt and they they dwelt in egypt for who uh, probably six years they say so for six years as Herod was trying to locate the Messiah and kill him, he was killing every child that was under two years old. For six years, they dwelt in Egypt, and studies show that the money they received in that one transaction was more than enough to carry. Th That's a lot of money. Six years of supplies? I tell you in the name of Jesus, as you take authority over the area of your finances by sowing sacrificially into the gospel, into souls, into winning the loss at any cost, into that which is most dear to the heart of God. God will take care of you. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory, and you're not going to stay up in a place of perpetual need. God is going to take you to a place of overflow where you'll be able to meet the needs of those around you in Jesus' name. Number five, the area of finances. Number six, God has given us dominion over death itself. Hebrews 2.14, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus likewise partook of the same, that through His death He might deliver us from Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and also release us, who through all our lifetime were subject to bondage by the fear of death. Hebrews 2.14 and 15, Jesus has delivered us from Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and has released us from the fear of death. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Those thoughts of premature death, those thoughts of dying in a car crash, plane accident, whatever, those thoughts of not living to see your children, have children, all those thoughts, that dream you keep having, I believe there's some of you, you've had dreams where the devil's almost showed you, showed you in a casket, showed you in a coffin. I tell you, all those things are there to intimidate you, to get you to believe that you have to die an early death. But the scripture says very clearly, the devil has no power to kill. Jesus holds the power of death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible already says, his will concerning your life. Look at Caleb. He was 85 years old and he said, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40. Give me now this mountain so that I can fight and take it up as my inheritance. 85 years old. He wasn't weaning out. He wasn't drying out. He wasn't on uh, 18 medications and have to go to three doctor's visits every week. The Bible says in Psalm 92, even in old age you will be fresh and flourishing. Get that image of yourself. Drop the coffin image. Start to see yourself in old age. Blessing your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Start to see yourself. Like, you know, the Bible says, Genesis 6, 
My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Nevertheless, man's days shall be 120. 120 years. That's, that's the standard God has set for man. People always use, yeah, what well, the Bible says in Psalm 90 that, you know, what is man's day? 70, if by reason of strength, 80. So we should be happy with 70, 80 years. Study the context of that verse. The writer of that psalm is actually talking about how Israel had fallen into sin and as such our years are spent in sign and our years are spent in grief and sorrow and man's days are 70 and if by reason of strength they're making it to 80. They weren't living as long as they should. And it disturbed the psalmist to write about it. People take one scripture and they build a whole theology on it. Look at the entirety of scripture. Abraham, who is your your, your, your father in the faith. Father Abraham had many sons. We're one of those sons. The Bible says you are, you are um, a son of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And the scripture says we are blessed with believing Abraham. We are blessed with believing Abraham through faith. Through faith we are blessed with believing Abraham. Abraham, notice this. Abraham is past Genesis 6. And where God had said 120. And Abraham lived to 175 years old. And he's the one who is called the father of the faith. So you're, what you believe. Look at, you want, you want to know the secret to long life? Being committed to kingdom purpose. Look at Billy Graham. 95 years old. And they asked him, like, do you miss your wife? Do you want to go home to be with the Lord? And you know what he said? I'm going to live another five years. And he, he didn't just live another five years as they were scraping, you know, Gerbers off his face. He lived another five years where he was doing... Uh, television productions reaching the most amount of people he had ever reached. And 96 years old, he's sitting in a chair preaching to the nations of the world. His secret to living that long was his investment into seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look at Oral Roberts, 93, 94 years old, Teal Osborne, a set of brown hair when he was 90 years old, didn't, didn't dye it. Smith Wigglesworth, 90 years old. All of these guys lived well past 80 years old. And if you locate the common denomination, common denominator in, in them all was that they were they were all they were all tied in to kingdom work. There was a lady in Laval. I was pre preaching once. Doctors gave her three months to live. She had uh, tumors all throughout her body. And I remember, I had no, no idea who she was. I called her out, and I just gave her one word. You will live and not die and declare the work of the Lord. Falls out under the power, goes back to the doctor a month later, and they do a CAT scan. There's nothing wrong with her. Totally healed. She's still alive today. I, I, every time I go back to Laval, I greet her, I hug her. Because, she, 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 you know, that's dear to me. She's a, a walking testimony of what God's power can do. I want you to declare that wherever you're at. I will live and not die and declare the work of the Lord. I'm not going to fall before my time. I'm going to take up the full measure of the days that have been allotted to me. With long life, I'm going to be satisfied. And it's not going to be a long life, miserable long life. Because a lot of people who live long, but they're miserable. It's a long, satisfying life that God will give you in Jesus' name. And then number seven, the final area that you can have dominion, and it pretty much encompasses it all. Dominion over the devil himself. The Bible says they overcame the devil by the word of their mouth, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. You have dominion. Jesus said, I have given you power over unclean spirits to cast them out and over all the power of the devil, and it shall not harm you. 
The Bible's, you can look at all throughout the book of Acts. It's not like Jesus was blowing smoke when he said, go preach the gospel as you go. They that believe will cast out devils. What does it mean to cast out devils? It means to exercise authority over devils. Cast them out. To violently eject them out of, out of areas that, and environments that you're in. That's not pleading with devils. I adjure you, you come out. No, you come out, Satan. No, that's cast out. One word. The Bible says Jesus cast out devils by the finger of God. By the pinky finger. Doesn't even need his, God didn't even need his full hand to cast out devils. Just one finger. You have that same power in you. You have that same authority. Don't be blinded by religion. You know, so many people are waiting for God to do something about the devil. Lord, in your timing, I pray that you just get this thing done. Just sitting there complaining about what the devil's done to their lives, their family, hoping that one day they'll be set free. You know, sitting there just wishing things away. Just like the children of Israel did when they got to the Red Sea. They complain against Moses and against God. Is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into this wilderness to die? What did God tell Moses? Hey, why are you crying out to me for? Because remember, Moses told the people of Israel, stand still and see. You'll see the salvation of God. That's what people are doing. They're standing still and they're watching. They're watching for God to do something about the situation. When in reality, God told Moses, why are you looking to me and crying out to me? I gave you that rod of authority. With it, wave it over the sea. And when Moses did what only Moses can do, a natural human action, God went to work and there was a cause and an effect. The effect, the cause, was Moses in faith waving that, that rod over the sea. The effect was God parting the Red Sea. How do you take dominion? There's only one way to take dominion. First of all, I hope that we've established that you, be, you need to be living a holy life if you're going to have any, any authority over the devil. The devil will mock you and mock you to scorn if you're living a life of sin and you're trying to take authority over him and binding and loosing, whatever. He'll, he'll mock you. It'll never work. You need to live a holy life. Number two, you need to walk in love. You need to walk in love. If you hate people and are angry at people and hold bitterness in your heart against people, you'll never walk... In, in authority. The Bible says faith worketh by love and dominion is a function of faith. So your dominion will never work until your faith is working and your faith won't work until love is radiating, emanating from you. So number one, holiness. Number two, you need to walk in love. Number three, this is like the groundwork. Number three, you need to be where God's told you to be. Jesus told his disciples, go into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do not go into the city of the Gentiles. As you go, preach heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. If they had said, well, no, let's go, to a, let's go to some Gentile cities. This stuff's amazing. Gentiles need to hear this too. It wouldn't have worked for them. Because God's anointing and authority only works where God's placed you and positioned you. So if you're out of place, you'll be out of power. But when you find yourself in, where God, where, in the will of God, proving the acceptable, good, perfect will of God, that's when, you know, if God told me to... You know, he isn't obviously, but if God said you're to move to Africa and, and live in some sort of city and, and I'm going to use you there, and I say, no, I'm just going to preach here. I'm not going to have results here. I need to be where God's planted me. 
in order for me to enjoy success, in order for me to have results. You'll never excel being where you want to be. You'll excel where you're, when you're exactly where God has placed you and positioned you to be. You were born for such a time as this, and you're born to be in a specific location. If you're a pastor of a church, you need to, you need to find out where the, you're, you're, you feel called to pastor a church, find out where God's calling you to pastor a church. And be there. And then how do you take dominion? Very simple. Mark eleven twenty three. If you will say to this mountain, Be thou uprooted and cast into the midst of the sea, and not doubt, but believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have what you say. God took Ezekiel to a valley full of dry bones. And he said, Can these bones live again? Lord, you know. And he said, Prophesy to the bones. How do you take dominion? Dominion is voice activated. It's voice activated. Caleb and Joshua took dominion over those giants because they said, yes, there are giants, but if our God is on our side, we can by all means possess the land and those giants will be bread for us to eat. And because God said, as they have spoken in the hearing of my ears, so shall I do through them. They're the only ones that enter into the promised land. They took dominion over that land because they voice activated it. You shall say, you'll never see until you say, Moses took dominion over Pharaoh because he kept speaking. Pharaoh, let my people go. No, we're not doing it. Pharaoh, he never stops talking. If you won't start speaking, you'll start seeing God, God at work in your life. He kept speaking until he started seeing. And what happened? Days later, a full nation was set free. In one day, on the Passover day, they were liberated. And they were brought out with silver and gold. You look at it in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took dominion over actual fire in that furnace because they said, our God whom we serve is able and He will deliver us, O King Nebuchadnezzar. My children will be blessed. My household will be saved. And you don't just say things out of like hopeful, wishful, wishful thinking. Link it up with Scripture. Why will my house be saved? Because the Bible says the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Because the Bible says that you and your house will be saved. Because the Bible says Cornelius' house was saved on that day. There's sickness in your body? You know, there's so many people, they hear a message like this, they start declaring things, well, I still feel pain, it must not have worked. You know, I wear cologne. And my cologne is very distinct. It's a very nice smelling cologne. When I walk into a place and I stay there for a little while, I'll walk out of that place. If my wife walked in after me, she'll smell. And it's a very distinct cologne. Not many people have it. She'll smell that cologne and say, my, my husband was here. I'm not physically there anymore. I've left. But she can smell the aroma of the fragrance that I carry. In the same vein, when you take authority over the devil, to cast them out of whatever you need, them to, you need to cast them out of today. Even if you still see evidence of him being there. It's just his foul lurking aroma that's still there. He's God. You have to see in the spirit. The moment you gave the command for him to leave, he left. And things in the natural will line up with the things that you've ordered in the spiritual. So don't let the devil deceive you just because you can still smell him. 
that he's still there. No, you can smell him, but that's just because he leaves off a foul stench. But the smell's going to go away. There's people that have more faith in medicine than they do in God's power and the authority that God's given them. How do I know that? They'll take a medication, they'll take a Advil or Tylenol, and then they still have a headache for about 30 minutes, 40 minutes, but they, they, they fully expect, they're, they're believing that relief is coming. And then the relief comes, it settles in. Why not have that same attitude towards the authority vested in you, that when you give the command, just like Daniel, Daniel prayed for his nation. An angel was sent to him and said, from the very first day that you opened up your mouth to pray, I was sent. If you would see in the, in the spiritual, in the supernatural realm, the moment you give a decree, the Bible says, thou shalt declare and decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. The moment you decree it, it's done. That's why if you hear people of faith pray, they always end their prayer by saying, Father, we call it done in Jesus' name and we receive it. Why? Because whatsoever things you pray, you desire when you pray, believe that you have received them. So if you're believing for dominion over your thoughts, dominion over depression, dominion over anxiety, start to declare, devil, it is written. God said, my peace I give unto thee, not as the world gives do I give. Therefore let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'm not to have a troubled heart. I'm not to be... I, don't, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of, of love, of power, and a sound mind. Therefore, in Jesus' name, I expel any thoughts of depression, any thoughts of suicide, any thoughts of anxiety. And I'm going to tell you, you might still have another thought in the next week, in the next day, in the next hour. But stand your, having done all, stand. And the Bible says, I mean... The Bible says a fact is established on the presence of two or three witnesses. I'll show you two, I'll show you three witnesses from the Word of God that shows you that if you'll resist the devil, he'll flee. Number one, James. Brother James. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil, submit to God, and the devil will run from you as in terror. That's one. One witness. Number two, Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, cast your cares on the Lord. He cares for you. Resist the uh, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour notice how it says be sober, be vigilant if you think that you know wherever I go in life you know I, I believe in the sovereignty of God I'll get to where God needs me to be no, you're to be sober because there's an actual devil on the loose that is trying to devour people on the earth you can't carry a lackadaisical attitude uh, you know you have to be on the alert. Could you imagine a, a, an army man going to war and just walking right through the center of a battlefield, whistling? He'll get shot. He has to be sober. He has to be on the alert. And the Bible says, resist whom resist him. Whom resist he? Speaking of the devil. Whom resist he? Steadfast in the faith. And the God of all peace will perfect, strengthen, and establish you and settle you on every side. That's Peter, Brother Peter. Third, I'll give you a third one. Paul, what we just read. Take up the shield of faith, where which you will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. That's three witnesses from the Word of God that show you you don't have to put up with the devil's crap in your life. You have power and authority, weapons that are mighty through God to remove what you want removed, 
and to establish and settle yourself in every aspect of life. The Bible says when they entered into a covenant to serve the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their strength, with all their mind, God gave them all around rest. When you start to enact this message of dominion, you will enjoy, I've enjoyed it, all around rest. Rest in, your, in the area of your finances. Rest in the area of your health. Rest in the area of your family. Rest in the area of your business. Rest in the area of your mind. Rest in the area of spiritual victory over sin. Rest in the area of what the devil's trying to cause unrest. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. For everyone that's drawn into this broadcast, everyone that's tuned in, everyone that's stuck on for an hour and 40 minutes, I pray, even now, as you said, where two of you shall agree concerning anything that they might demand on earth, it shall be given them from heaven. And you said, we have keys to bind and to loose. I connect my faith with those watching right now. I bind every work of the devil in sickness, Every foul devil that's running rampant through their bodies, that's maligning the function of their physical bodies, as was in the original order of creation, I, I bind that foul devil. I expel. I remove. I command that hand to be lifted off their body right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Be healed in your body. I take authority over racing thoughts. I take authority over uh, doubt-filled minds. In Jesus' name, I cast every stronghold to the ground. I take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And I loose a grace into the hearts of those watching to study themselves in this book of the law, to show themselves the proof that any time the enemy comes in, with a thought of doubt, a thought of worry, a thought of concern. Lord, that they would have sufficient evidence from the Word of God to rebuke, resist, and reject any opposition, any opposing thought. In Jesus' name, I take authority over every devil that's trying to meddle into the lives of those that are redeemed on this broadcast. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that He's translated us out of darkness into light. And as such, we're no longer under the governing rule of the devil. Hands off, you foul, dumb devil. I release them now from your bondage. From the grip of terror that you've held them long enough in. And they enter in to the blessing from this day onward. In Jesus' name. For those that have been givers, those that are in covenant with you in the area of finances, I rebuke every devourer. I rebuke every, every uh, attempt to put holes in the baskets that they have. That every time they get a paycheck, it's like it just falls right through. In the name of Jesus, I command overflow. I command a blessing, just like Deuteronomy 28 says, unto all which you put your hand, it shall prosper. God said, I'll command a blessing on your storehouse. The Bible says, you shall lend to many and borrow from none. In the name of Jesus, you are stepping out of the realm of borrowers and stepping into the realm of lenders. In Jesus' mighty name, you will be the head always. No matter what area of business you're in, no matter what area of career you're in, God is making a way for you to be at the top in Jesus' name. Just like Joseph, 
a man who was in covenant with God. The Bible says very clearly, the hand of the Lord was on him and he prospered and continued prospering until the Potiphar, the Egyptian ruler of a slave. It, Joseph was a slave under the rule of Potiphar. Yet Potiphar saw the blessing of God is not some mystical thing in the air. It is an evident thing. When Potiphar saw the hand of God on Joseph, he put him in charge over everything. He made him second in command. He gave him the highest promotion there was. And then Pharaoh did the same a couple of chapters later. Put him as prime minister over all of Egypt. I pray in Jesus' name that God will catapult you light years ahead. That others that are more qualified than you, others that are more educated than you, that have applied for the same position, the Lord will like navigate you right through. And there will be a favor on your life. That will open up doors that no man could open for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're watching right now, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you'd like to do so, I'd encourage you to do it right now. Not encourage you. You have to get saved. You can't live another day questioning your eternity. Make sure that tonight you can put your head to the pillow and know that you know that you're right with God, that your sins are forgiven, that your case has been solved. That if Jesus were to come back right now, you wouldn't shrink back and worry about where... No, you'd be one of those caught up in the air to meet Him and forever be with Him. If you have a question mark, after the question as to where you'll spend eternity, you need to, you need to answer that question right now. You, can, you know that you can know that you're saved. You don't have to question it. You don't have to, you don't have to doubt it. You don't have to worry about it. You can know that you're saved. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord. You will be saved. You will be saved. There's no room for doubting there. The Bible says, these things have been written so that you may know that you have eternal life. But you don't just walk into salvation. The Bible says very clearly, you have to believe with your heart, confess with your mouth, and turn, repent from your old sinful lifestyle and turn to Christ today. Commit your life to Him. Consecrate yourself to Him. So I want to lead you in a, a, a prayer. That this prayer by itself, you know, if you don't mean it, it won't do anything for you. But if you mean this prayer, I meant it when I said it. When I was in my bedroom in 2012, and I know, I know from that moment on, I was born again. The heart of stone, the heart that was uh, angry in life, the heart that hated people, the heart that wanted nothing to do with God, the heart that was very vile and bitter, was removed. And a new heart was given to me, a heart of flesh. A heart that was willing to walk in the ways of God. God wants to do that to you. It's a heart transplant. God wants to do that for you. But the way you allow Him to do that is by praying this. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that You raised Christ from the dead. I confess Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I pray let the old life be done away with. And a new life, the life of God in me, emerge. I am a new creature. I thank you I'm not a renovated version of my old self. But I am crucified with Christ. And now Christ lives in me. Fill me with your spirit. Make me strong where I was weak. 
Give me grace to live for you, to walk blameless, holy, and to stay connected until that day you call me home. In Jesus' name, I am saved. I'm born again. I'm never looking back. From this moment onward, I'm going from glory to glory and victory to victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.